is it what I expected? No, not even close. Um, I don't know that any amount of preparation can prepare you to see, uh, you know, the better part of 40 plus people choreographed fighting and mm -hmm. running around and, and riding. Cause I mean, I, whether we get into this or not, we have motorcycle riders, riders and aerialists, they're gymnasts and martial artists, parkour athletes, circus performers. And I could go on and on and on with all the different sub subcategories mm -hmm. of athlete we have. So you're absolutely right. They're wildly diverse and incredibly athletic. And it is very normal now, but I, I can't imagine walking into that expecting uh, what I live with every day. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back, everyone. We have a great episode today and a very special guest this week, Jay Christensen, who is actually my classmate, and we went through the same master's program at University of Hawaii at Manoa. He is a certified athletic trainer currently with the traveling show Marvel Universe Live, and he has so many different experiences. He travels all over the globe and he provides athletic training services and healthcare to all of these performers and different types of athletes from stuntmen to aerialists to acrobatics. And it's a whole different world of dealing with sports injuries and also caring for these type of athletes. We talk about a lot of great things this episode. I won't get into too much of it right now. But Jay also has all different types of experiences in different settings in the athletic training world. He has worked the gamut from high school settings to Division I collegiate athletic settings to getting experiences in your non-traditional settings. And he's helped with World Surfing League events and also his current position now at Marvel Universe Live. Without saying anything more, I want to jump into this episode and listen to all of the great topics and conversations we've had. We welcome Jay Christensen to the podcast this week and we have a very long history and he's a fellow athletic trainer himself and yeah what's how's everything going during these situations and what what have you been up to? Andrew it is really great to talk to you man I, it's uh I think probably like everybody else just trying to endure and um get uh you know be safe and get through it hopefully uh sooner than later right? So we Yes hope. of course and yeah. <laughs> we, we have we have you on the podcast. It's a you're a very interesting guest because you are an athletic trainer just like I am in a non-traditional athletic training setting. But your your athletic training setting is probably one of the few very very exciting and you travel more than any other athletic trainer that I know. So can you give us a little little snapshot of what it is that you do and where you work for and what that has been like in the past recent several years yeah absolutely uh i guess the very short version of it is that uh i work for a very large company called feld entertainment um who was contracted through marvel uh yes the superheroes right to uh produce a live touring stunt show stage show so 
these are the same people that it produced uh, through the Walt Disney Company, uh, Disney on Ice, and a various slew of other live performing shows. Uh, Marvel has decided that to broaden their brand and increase the, uh, I guess, love for these characters, they uh, have, for the last several years, produced a live touring uh, show that has traveled domestically and internationally uh, that I've been very fortunate to be a part of for the last uh, last couple years. So on that show, I serve and act as the uh, athletic trainer for that show. And my uh, air quotes team, if you will, is comprised of about 150 people. They mm-hmm. make up the cast, crew, and staff that all make that uh, that show possible. Yes, and where where have you before all of this COVID nineteen hit? Where were you last? Uh, I was in South Africa, um, <laughs> in Pretoria, South Africa, for uh, almost a month. There, we were we were uh, having a great time. <laughs> yes, and I'm assuming you're back in the U.S. now. Yes. Yes. Uh, as, it, as fate would have it, uh, at the time of recording, I should have been just returning uh, back home to Hawaii, actually, as it were. We had initially planned a six to seven week uh, trip to Australia, and we would have traveled to five or six different uh, cities in, within Australia, had just finished uh, and would have taken some probably much needed uh, time off uh, on the island. But uh, as you mentioned and kind of alluded to, this whole uh, COVID-19 thing has kind of put a damper on now almost everything, hasn't it? Goodness. Yes, every, everything's on hold right now. And I mean, it's unfortunate, but, you know, we all have to do our part. And I think everyone's pitching in and understanding why this is necessary. But for all of for these sure. things like the enter- entertainment industry, sports industry, everything's on hold now. And it's really what kinds of things can we do even when we get back to normal living what kinds of things can we do to help to make sure that our athletes can perform before i get into all of that we do have a long history because you are actually my classmate we're in the same cohort together and i was just thinking back it's been seven years since we were certified it doesn't seem like that long at some times but in another way it has been a long seven years because we both have done a lot of different things and for you Let's share a little bit about what kinds of settings you've been, you've been, you've experienced, you've been working at, and kind of how you got to this current job where you're traveling with all of these road shows that you're doing. <laughs> yeah, it's been a journey. You're not wrong. Seven years seems like a long time, but as you alluded to it, it seems to have gone almost you know overnight. I remember graduate school like it was yesterday. Uh, so if we rewind all the way back. Uh, I'm actually quite proud of the fact that um, I started out in a very non-traditional setting in that um, I reached out and started working with the professional surfing tour when they were on island uh, on North Shore. And I had such a great experience with that. It had nothing to do with a negative experience in the high school or collegiate setting, but it was just something different. And I thought, man, like this is something I really enjoy. Having your office on the beach wasn't terrible either, right? But uh, being able to interact with these athletes that – uh, just genuinely like that was so consuming to them. That was their life and they were doing everything possible to participate and compete. That very early on struck me as, okay, this is the demographic. These are the type of people I want to work with because they want desperately to uh, to be good and to not only be good, but be successful, right? Um, so that led me to, you know, finish um, working on the island, I guess, and, and move to the mainland uh, for many other reasons, 
But um, I moved to the Bay Area of California and had a really great opportunity to work in Major League Soccer. Um, it started as an internship, which was amazing just to get the opportunity. And, uh, you know, for those listeners of your podcast, you're, they're keenly aware and familiar with your experience with internships. Uh, and while my envy with you working in Detroit and working with the Lions uh, was exceptional and, and really big, I also did not envy the really uh, cold fall and winter that you experienced out there. So um, my... Uh, my internship with San Jose in the Bay Area of California proved to be something that was uh, really kind of a pivotal moment for me in that uh, I had such a great opportunity to be exposed to a different um, approach in athletic training, a different setting entirely as far as how they treated their athletes and um, the kind of, for lack of a better term, the hype that comes along with that. But then also uh, the, the, not politics, but the comings and goings and the, the wheels that are turning behind the scenes that maybe everyone doesn't always see. Um, yep. Major League Soccer uh, actually was a really good opportunity because that internship turned into an opportunity where the GM pulled me in and said, hey, we're really grateful and, and happy with what you're doing. If it's all the same to you, we'd, we'd like to pay you, which I put up no fight and no objection to. And uh, did, did a full season with them and it was great. Um, that to, I guess, not drag this out really long transition to an opportunity to work at a, at a high school level. Um, it was as a result of interviewing with, uh, uh, through the NBA, I'd looked at kind of trying to work with the uh, D league for the golden state warriors and their team mm -hmm. in Santa Cruz. And I made it quite far in the interview process only to, uh, have a conversation with the, the head guy there and he encouraged me to work more as the head athletic trainer position and I had so much experience uh, assisting or you know working as an intern or other spots um, that at that point that was what was really glaring on my resume so I worked at the high school level for several years and then um, if I'm honest uh, LinkedIn played a really large part in my progression yes. from there I plugged in my resume and was updating it and um, Marvel reached out and I ticked all the boxes they were looking for. And uh, as they say, the, the rest is history. So yeah. here I am. Yes. And I mean, you have one of the rare positions, I think, because you're working with not only in a non-traditional setting that you're traveling all the time, but it's also with a rare group of athletes. And I, I really think that they're one of the most athletic people or population that there is in sports because of the things that they have to do. And I mean, just the practice schedule and everything. But to share a little bit more about that, is it is it what you expected now that you've been doing this for a few years? Is it what you thought it would be and how has it been similar or different? You know, it's funny because now, because I've had this conversation, it seems very normal, right? To see some guy fall like 20 or 30 feet and, and not, <laughs> not get hurt seems yeah. very normal to me. Guys are getting punched and kicked and girls are getting thrown across the stage and, you know, just dying if you will you know and, I, and that that part seems very normal which is obviously not is it what i expected no not even close um i don't know that any amount of preparation can prepare you to see uh you know the better part of 40 plus people choreographed fighting and mm -hmm. running around and and riding because I mean, I, whether we get into this or not, we have motorcycle riders and aerialists, they're gymnasts and martial artists, parkour athletes, circus performers, 
and I could go on and on and on with all the different sub subcategories mm -hmm. of athlete we have. So you're absolutely right. They're wildly diverse and incredibly athletic and it is very normal now, but I, I can't imagine walking into that expecting uh, what I live with every day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I think it's never boring for you. It's always something different every day. Um, but the routine, it's still, you're working like an athletic trainer. And I think you briefly mentioned that, you know, you, until you get, you, you're in these situations, you don't get to see all the behind the scenes. So right. like, even when you were in uh, professional soccer, now when you're with Marvel, and even when I was at Detroit, you don't get to see all of the behind the scenes. It's kind of equivalent to, I think for the average person, we don't get to see what goes on behind a movie set or filming a live event. You know, we don't understand all the ins and outs, but there are a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. And just to share a little bit with the Marvel routine, yeah. how, what's your schedule like? How, what's the practice schedule like or rehearsal schedules like? How, how much is demanded out of each person's body? You know, just to give a little bit of an idea for all the listeners. Yeah, so um, I'll preface that by saying every every character has what they call an understudy, which is basically their backup, right? Mm -hmm. So the the role of the primary performer or character, whether it be Star-Lord or Gamora or Spider-Man or Black Panther, any of these people, they have an understudy that are expected to maintain not only the, the character and the physical fitness and the choreography, but they're expected to be ready to go in, just like any other setting, at a moment's notice in the event of an injury. So when we speak about their training regimen, uh, because of the nature of our travel and the size of the, of the setup, it takes about two and a half, three days to set everything up. So we're not actually on set or on the scene, as so to speak, uh, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. Given the amount of travel that we do, because you alluded to that, when we're traveling domestically, we are in a new city every single week. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we started going international, now we're maybe in a new country every week. So mm -hmm. the need for them to, by them I mean the athlete and the, not only the performer but the crew members as well, to be able to make use of what's available to them is dramatic. Uh, for those who travel for work or who have traveled with uh, their team, you are firsthand and very aware, hotel gyms are not all created the same. <laughs> yeah. So for them to, uh, to walk in and see a treadmill and a, a set of weights that go up to 50 pounds uh, and maybe a stationary bike and that's it, can be a bit disheartening. So they have learned to be creative with not only the equipment available to them, but how they work out as well. Uh, at any given moment, you may people see people in the parking lot or you know finding open gyms or facilities wherever they may be, whether it be dance studios or otherwise, and bartering with them for hey, can how can I get some floor time here or whatever? Because the uh, aerialists that need straps and silks and lira uh, require those uh, apparatus to work, and that's not something you just hang up uh, on a whim somewhere, the, the <laughs> rigging for that has to be pretty precise, right? Um, so as far as schedule, Thursdays are uh, what they call, uh, we have opening, right? And, and we do what's called a tech run. Well, they will mm -hmm. rehearse the entirety of the show. Um, Thursdays are opening, so we have a show that night as well. Mm -hmm. And then Friday traditionally is rehearsal time throughout the day. We can begin as early as uh, eight or nine in the morning. They'll rehearse uh, different scenes again, uh, what the person that people that don't see behind the scenes, as we talked about, are aware is a lot of uh, almost all of this is choreographed, right? So it's very mm -hmm. specific, not only for consistency but safety. Um, mm -hmm. And then that translates to usually three shows on Saturday and three more on Sunday. 
Sunday is a big day because they load everything up, pack it out, and then we're on to the next city. Uh, if we fly, then it's usually Monday morning. If we're on a bus domestically, then it's uh, Sunday night. And then we start all over again uh, Sunday night or Monday morning, and uh, they all train. So mm-hmm. that's a little different. <laughs> so is there, for the medical team, do you have a f- team physician that travels with you guys, or are you the primary head athletic trainer for all medical issues? Yeah, everything comes through me. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a different setting because uh, the world headquarters is in Florida, just outside of Tampa, Florida. So our standing orders come through an orthopedic group there. Um, mm-hmm. But as you can imagine, they're not able to travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the physicians don't travel. Uh, however, there is a bit of a network that's been established, whether it be myself or other colleagues that uh, we have people, I have people that I can reach out to and ask for help and, and things like that. And then this has provided me with a really interesting um, kind of plot twist in that I work a lot with workers' compensation. Yes. Uh, so that's something entirely different that you know you don't necessarily get in school is how to manage workers' compensation and, and all the ins and outs that come with that. And mm-hmm. we could have a whole nother podcast about that. <laughs> But we'll skip yeah. just understanding that that's something that was not expected for me and was I was given a crash course and learned very, very quickly how to deal with all of that. So, um, yeah, that's, again, unexpected for sure. <laughs> yes, definitely. And is there a strength coach or anything like when they're on tour? How are they determining what kind of volume, what type of types of workouts? I know they're professionals, so they have a good grasp on how to train, but right. still someone has to monitor and kind of oversee the total volume, including the performances. Yeah, no, that's a really good question because with such a diverse group, uh, it's really impossible to give them like a blanket workout and them all do the same thing, right? So um, you know, where, as you alluded to, these are all very highly skilled professionals, right? They're, this is not their first rodeo. So they're very keenly aware of not only what they need to continue to maintain, but if they have deficiencies, um, dancers are very, very aware of their bodies and martial artists and performers like this are, are no, no exception there either. Um, so every, I guess, subgroup has their own method of training, whether that be sparring and rolling jujitsu, whether it be punching a bag, whether it be you know, doing a CrossFit workout or riding just their motorcycle. What is a common denominator is they are ferocious in their workouts. And it's very intimidating. Uh, We travel a mobile gym and it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty spectacular what we're able to pull off on the road. Uh, And it's a very rare occurrence that someone that you walk into that area and no one's working out. So for the uh, average person on tour, that's uh, part of the crew or staff or, you know, the, uh, what they call the uh, felt consumer products that sell the popcorn and things like that. To walk into that is uh, is very intimidating <laughs> to see. You know, the guy that plays, you know, Drax the Destroyer or Hulk. You know, just going mental in there with their headphones in. You don't even want to touch those guys. <laughs> just stay away. Yes, I I think that's that's a very good point because no matter what their activity or sport is, this is their professional job. So I mean, yeah. taking the preparation the training and everything to that high level that's what reflects in their performance and same thing for other sports soccer football everything people want to see just the games but really it's all the things that they do week by week all the intense training you know making sure that everything is practiced rehearsed and all of this that's really what makes the difference and that's why they're professionals versus 
collegiate or you know amateur level athletes is because they take it to that next level and i think that's a yes that's a very good similarity on that note being with so many different settings and for me i mean before i got to performance rehab ortho it was primary football setting for me but still to see at different levels what is your take on some of the similarities of what helps people to perform at this elite level or not even elite, but just perform to their optimum uh, capacity? You know, it's, it's really interesting because you've spoken about it on your podcast and, uh, more and more. And you talk about the, the mental aspect that comes into that, right. And mm-hmm. psychological preparation. And something I liked about one of your conversations with Kaimi was this idea that you physically prepare, but you have to be in the right mental state, right? Mm-hmm. So the psychology behind it, I find fascinating. And everybody gets to what we call air quotes, the zone in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, what matters is that everyone arrives at that point simultaneously or darn close to it. And, are, and they're on the same page there. Uh, as far as similarities in performing and working out, I, I think there's a massive carryover in a trend in, in similarity that when you're expecting so much physically of your body at mm-hmm. such a high level at a consistent um, and repetition, often and early and at a very high level, as I said already, uh, that is both physically and mentally demanding. So when someone finishes a rehearsal or workout uh, or show and comes off and is just exhausted, they razz each other and give each other a hard time. Like, hey, man, like that fight was only two minutes. Like, calm down, right? <laughs> but the mental strain to be so precise, we're talking punches less than two inches away. That's the proximity that we're trying to go get in that it has to sell. And one thing that I get a lot, and I've, I learned this working with these people, is uh, when you're on a movie set, the fight can be taped several times. Cut, scrap that, mm-hmm. do it again cut, scrap it, do it again, let's do it again until it's perfect. These young men and women do not get that opportunity. It has to be perfect the first time, every time. And when it's not, it's very obvious because all of us have seen really terrible action or martial art movies where the, the punch or the kick just doesn't sell and it looks terrible. And that difference, whether it be Marvel or anything else, it's the proof is in the pudding as they say and it's very very clear when it's not right so this precision psychologically and mentally to be in that right mindset is massive so that's the similarity on the athletic training side where you're familiar with American football for example my exposure to football I translate and this is a really good example with uh, let's say like an offensive lineman coming off the Mm -hmm. line and blocking that mechanism of, of moving your feet, using your hips, getting position, and striking the defensive lineman coming at you is not that different than a martial artist mm-hmm. getting set, prepared, and that strike across the body, whether it's a punch or a shove or whatever, kick. Uh, so the mechanism of injury, as we often say, isn't that different when we start talking about some of these injuries that uh, I've seen that injury. It wasn't in a, you know, a fight, but it, it <laughs> yeah. was a fight on the gridiron or whatever the case may be, right? As that gives you any context. No, that that's great. I think you said a bunch of things there. The similarities Sorry. again. No, that that's it's very good to hear because the I believe the exact same thing. There's a lot of overlap. And I think the similarities, like you said, it doesn't matter what your professional sport or even what your sport is. The right. precision that you practice with, that's gonna be how you're gonna execute it. 
lights are on or in the game time situation. And in your case, it's just when they're actual live performances, you know? And same thing for like a football player, doesn't matter, tennis player, golfer, anything. The precision when you need to execute, that's what's important. And all of that is in the preparation. And I think a lot of times, we take for granted how good certain things are with these athletes, but we don't understand that. I should say the average person that doesn't see behind the scenes, they might not understand how much preparation and how much hard work, blood, sweat, and tears it took to get them to do that three, whatever, three times a day or however many times they have those live performances. And the second thing that you said about there is that the mechanism, like pretty much your body it doesn't matter if you're a quarterback or if you're a contortionist or aerialist, your body is meant to move in certain ways. And of course, their task that they have to carry out is different. Like throwing a ball 60 miles an hour versus, I don't know, doing some kind of flip or whatever aerial stunt, the task is different. But the way that your body is meant to carry this out safely, like how you said, and the mechanism of injury, that is relatively consistent because we all have the same bones, muscle, nervous system, everything. So I think that's interesting because we might encounter completely different sets of injuries and completely different sets of mechanisms because we're not carrying out the same task. But when it comes down to it, how you train the body, how you rehab the body, how you assess, evaluate the body, that's pretty much the same across the board. I don't think anything changes with that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And and kind of building off of that, we've said that yes, there is a lot of carryover, a lot of similarities. But besides the task at hand, there's a lot of differences too. So what have you seen throughout your career? What are some of the big differences that you have to be aware of or cater to, whether that's high school athletics, soccer, or performing arts? What have you kind of seen? Um, I think, well, not I think, I know. You and I, have. you'll remember, we were. it was just ingrained to us and drilled into us. Like, you have to establish a relationship with your athlete. You have to get to know them. And they. not only do you need to get to know them, they need to get you. And on top of that, I would argue that that relationship has to be established in some measure of trust. The last thing any athlete is going to do is come to someone they don't trust. And I always joke that if you go down and unfortunate for you, my ugly face is the one you're looking up at. Like <laughs> you need to be able to rely that what I'm going to do for you is to your to your benefit and for your help. And in every single setting, I don't care if it's high school, college, professional, Olympian, whatever, uh, that level of trust has to be there. And how you as a practitioner establish that is, is vitally important. Mm-hmm. Um, you can talk to talk, but until they see results in what you're saying and like, oh, he said or she said to do this and this is why and it actually worked, there's, there's just something to be said for that, right? In uh-huh. my experience, uh, it's, I can take it a step further in our, in the, with the example that if I have a positive experience with a team, for example, uh, and one or two athletes come in and we have a really good uh, relationship, the interaction is positive, they leave not only feeling like there's a plan, but they were also heard and and there was some empathy there. And that also on top of that, I probably have a pretty good idea of what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. They walk away and I guarantee one of the first things, especially as a new person, they're going to do is they're gonna get questions from their teammates or other people. And they're gonna say, how was it? How is this guy? What, What happened? 
So that, that they say, you know, first impression is always the most important is absolutely vital as well. If you go in and they come back and like, I don't know, man, like this guy, <laughs> good luck, right? As opposed to like, oh, uh, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. You should definitely go talk to him because your ankle isn't bothering you for like six weeks and you haven't said anything. You should go talk to him. Yeah. That snowball, as you like to talk about, uh, is, is it runs both ways. Yes. No, I definitely agree. And can you... What, what are some of the differences, I guess, between for the three settings that you've been in, surfers, soccer players, and now performers? Yeah. You know, what have you seen? Because, yes, building that trust, that's completely key. Even for me, it doesn't matter if it's a recreational uh, athlete that is a weekend warrior versus a professional fighter, professional football player. You know, you have to find ways to develop that trust. So what have you noticed that, you've had to kind of change either your style or your communication style to cater to these different populations, whether that's surfers, soccer players, performing artists. Yeah. Um, a couple things that I can briefly talk about. One has a lot to do with the vernacular and lingo and terminology. Um, in the surfing world, that's a whole nother language, right? <laughs> and it's another mentality entirely uh, to be able to identify and talk with them. And they're saying, okay, this is how I, where I felt this, right? This pop or I felt my strain or whatever was I was doing this move, right? If you don't, A, have any idea what that move is, how are you going to have any idea how to diagnose it, right? The same is true of soccer players. That's another language entirely. And while surfers are just perpetually mellow and just, well, for the most part, very relaxed, they're really great athletes to work with, soccer players can be very intense, and it's very, very important to them that they get back on the field or that I get off the field so they can keep playing. <laughs> so they'll get through that conversation, communication, we always talk about is very, very important. Uh, and so where a surfer may have you know, several hours before his next heat, he's probably or she may be far more patient with this whole evaluation process. My attitude and behavior when I'm either on the field or on the sideline of the field dealing with a soccer player is probably maybe similar to someone dealing with a wrestler, for example. You have a very limited time, and you got to get this done very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. So the approach changes. And then we come full circle with performers. Their lingo, their terminology, and what they do, because I, I joke with them. I'm not a comic book nerd. Like, I've never been that guy. <laughs> so when they're talking about, uh, you know, I don't know, different fight styles or techniques or martial arts they participate in, it took a lot of research on my end to prepare, right? And so I couldn't have told you the difference between straps, silks, and lira before I started this job. And now I probably have a pretty good idea. I can't do any of those, but I know when they're talking about different movement patterns, uh, whether whatever apparatus that may be on, uh, I can at least talk the talk, right? So that's the biggest part is communicating and understanding what the heck they're talking about when they're explaining how they got hurt. But then also, as far as my behavior towards them, uh, I think, again, not to kind of spin it back to this whole get to know your athlete, but it, it in this setting with Marvel, every single one of these guys is different. So my relationship with them cannot be cookie cutter. And I my interactions with them, some of them I joke around with the hall and mess, them around, mess around with them, and other people... I will see them and I, I give them a thumbs up, thumbs down, kind of you tell me. There's no words exchange and they know that at least not only do I care, but I'm checking up on them and it doesn't take much more than that. So 
I guess to answer your question, it depends, right? <laughs> <laughs> it does. And that's the, that's always the answer that we give is it depends. But you said a lot of good things there because for us as athletic trainers, it's the, this is our preparation. You know, we don't prep for these events the same way that people or the athletes would prep for these events, but we prep in other ways. And I think what you said there, I, I agree that every sport has different personalities, different cultures, different types of mindset, intensity levels, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it's our job to make sure that we can relate to them build that rapport, build that trust so that we can actually help them because that's what we're all here for. We all want to see them perform at their highest level that they possibly can. And for you saying the difference, the differences that you've noticed in all of these different settings, I think that's spot on because one thing that we need to do to prepare, uh, prep as and prepare as professionals is that we need to understand what they need to do. And I think, you know, for every athletic trainer out there the longer that you're around that setting or that sport you start to understand and learn what kinds of things their body needs to go through you understand how to communicate with them and all of these different things so that's exactly right i mean even for me i mean thank god i played football when i was younger but not very long but still yet yeah, when you're at around these athletes at a high level kind of like how you alluded to earlier like it's normal for you to see people flying around falling 20 30 feet for me, it was it was normal to see all of these spectacular plays every day in practice, you know, but then you start to get this understanding like, OK, because he does this or because he needs to do this frequently, these are the th types of things that I need to understand. So when he communicates to me as to what he felt, what happened, I have a better understanding. And in turn, it's just going to build more trust with that athlete. The second thing that I wanted to say about differences is that especially for you, I think, because you have people from all over the world, the backgrounds of everybody is different. And that's, I mean, obviously you spent majority of your life in Hawaii. I'm born and raised in Hawaii. I relate to Hawaii athletes very well because that's what I know. That's my background. But when I have to deal with someone who, who is like a foreigner or not from Hawaii, now it's finding out, okay, how, where are they coming from? What's their background? What's their personality like? And I think that's a huge difference when you're dealing with a diverse population to make them to understand that you're here to help them and you, you know, you want to build that trust again. But yeah, do you have anything to add about that? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I, I've often thought of that. Um, when I was in Major League Soccer, one of the uh, assistants, uh, Derek Lawrence, shout out to D-Law there. He, uh, he actually said something to me very early on when I was leaving and in, to the extent that he said, this is a great opportunity for you to establish your own culture. Mm -hmm. And we heard that all through school, right? And all through any other job is like, okay, take what you like from the practitioners that you're working with, whether that be interning or studying, take what they do that you like and make it your own and take what they don't like and that's okay, but you don't have to do it their way. And coming into this, I had an opportunity to set up and establish a culture of my own. So to speak to what you're talking about, the world has many, many different cultures, right? And in Hawaii, we are exposed to a lot, right? But to be fair, it's not worldwide, right? And while we are probably quite prideful that we're quite diverse, maybe we're not as diverse <laughs> as we imagine, right? Mm -hmm. But the flip side is I also get an opportunity to say, hey, this is what I'm used to. When you come in, 
you're probably going to hear some kind of like music that hopefully will make you cheerful. I am a very, I like to think, positive person, and I like to have positive people around. If you're going to be grumpy and angry and mean, then go cool down and then come back and talk to me, right? Or whatever the case may be. My opportunity to establish a culture of my own allows them to say, awesome, I like this or I don't. Here's how we do things in my culture or whatever the case may be, whether that's directly uh, their point or if subconsciously they're telling me, okay, I'm not exactly comfortable doing it the way you do. This is how I like to do it, whatever the case may be. So anyway, to come full circle to what you're talking about, yes, diversity culturally and every other way I suppose that you could put that diversity is, is massive and being able to adjust not only to your athlete, but hopefully the athlete being able to accept your difference as well, I think makes a really good uh, combination there. Definitely. And you, you hit the nail on the head right there is we're all trying to one, help the athlete or the performer as best as we can, but develop our culture where it's more welcoming to do that, you know? And I think for athletic trainers, the best way that I can relate to this or explain this, I guess, is really all athletic trainers, we want to see our athletes succeed at the highest level. Right. We want them to perform the best that they possibly can. You know, yes, we are on the more sports medicine side and we are handling with healthcare and injuries and things like that. But our goal is not to keep you out for longer than you have to. Our goal is to get you back as safely and quickly as possible. And that's kind of what I wanted to touch on in the next section is, I mean, for since you're a fellow athletic trainer and we've had similar experiences and then, of course, we've had a lot of different great experiences too but to just advocate for the athletic training profession because i think obviously nata does a great job and i love going through to all of the events and our annual convention and everything and actually when i was thinking about it that was the last time that we really connected was last year in vegas you know so it is a time when all of us get together but if you think about if you were to explain to either your athletes or the general public what is it that athletic trainers do? Because that is a long-winded and loaded question, but if you could simply put it in a, in a yeah. few minutes, what is it that we do? Say it without being long-winded. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I often say actions speak louder than words, right? So my athletes now, if we were to conference call one of them right now, I think the big takeaway I would want or I would imagine and hope they would take away is that, as you already said, I care, right? In the end, that's what matters, right? Is It's not that I don't care about you or I don't want you to see you succeed or anything like that, but I, I care. So as an athletic trainer, what we do has everything to do with the fact that we actually care, right? At least that's how I, I encapsulate it all. So the studying that I've done for years and years to prepare to be able to hold a license and certification that says I'm qualified to do this is because I care. The hours of continuing education that I do, because I care, right? And then all of the early morning workouts and staying late after everything is done and prepping for the next day and all of the little stuff that they don't see, right? Because you're nodding like you know exactly what I'm talking about because I know you do. That's all comes back to because we care. And whether it's tears shed or laughs shared or, or whatever practical jokes that may come involved in that, uh, they understand hopefully that it's because not only I care, but hopefully as they proceed and move on to another team setting or otherwise, when they come in contact with an athletic trainer, 
the idea is that they'll understand that this person cares about me. That's what I hope, right? <laughs> so when people ask me, what do you do? I try to explain that it's, it, it encompasses more than just their medical care because that's a really broad thing. Physical <laughs> therapists and occupational therapists, they're surgeons and physicians, dentists, all these people, they're part of that medical team and that's, that's part of it, right? Um, I think what separates us as athletic trainers is we are so closely interwoven with them as athletes, as you talk about, whether it's the weekend warrior or professional athlete or anywhere in between. As you know, as a professional athlete, I probably see these guys more than their families. Mm-hmm. There's, I see them before practice, during practice, before game, after game, you know, on and on and on. So that relationship grows and grows and grows. So I feel like, you know, and I say it a lot, I should have gotten an undergraduate degree or a, a secondary degree in like psychology, right? Yeah. <laughs> All the counseling that goes on along with that and these long conversations because eventually you stop talking about the weather and it gets a lot more deep, right? So it's really, really hard as I continue to ramble on with, to be able to explain what we do without going full just lecture on them and saying that we're a healthcare professionals that I think we do a lot more than just healthcare. Yes, yes, definitely. And that's exactly what it is. I think people don't realize, one, what it takes to become an athletic trainer and how to maintain that. And and I would say that's not that much different than any other healthcare professional. So it's not I'm I'm not saying that we have it, you know, easier or harder or anything. It's pretty comparable to other healthcare professionals. But that's the fact is that we are healthcare professionals and we are like you said, we're around the athletes probably more so than any other healthcare professional there is, especially if you're with a team or you know, with your athletes and whatever that is. So that's where you really get to start to understand what the athletes are like, what they need. And, you know, that's why we're on the sidelines or on the field, because you want the person that knows the athlete best to figure out and diagnose, do they have a concussion or not? Or is this just their normal way of acting, you know, without being, <laughs> yeah. without making that a joke or whatever. And even when they get injured, you know, you want someone there that they can trust, like you said, that they're going to actually say what's wrong so that we can deliver high quality healthcare. And this is all the things, and it goes beyond just the evaluation and treatment, I think, like you said, it's all of the prep work to make sure and ensure their safety, to make sure that they have the adequate resources that they need so that they can practice, they can perform at games. And it's just everything that the athlete has to do with that sport or activity. And I think, you know, National Athletic Training Month, like we talked about, was in March. It's every year in March. And honestly, the athletic training profession, I've been getting all the updates and everything. I'm really happy that they're stepping up to offer our healthcare services. You know, we're not going to be in that traditional healthcare setting, but still yet there's a lot of things that we can do to assist. And I think the more that people see that, okay, athletic trainers are not just meant for athletics anymore then I think that's really how we can advocate for this profession because there are so many of us that are, like you said, in performing arts or I'm in a traditional clinic setting um, or even just in the military, all these other settings that they need this type of specialty and they need the skill set that athletic trainers provide, which is everything from first, uh, first responder to emergent care all the way till like just orthopedic injuries and uh, rehab care. So you're seeing that full spectrum. And yeah, we're both getting a little long-winded, but there's so many things that we do. And I I definitely agree with you is the bottom line is that 
we do this for the athletes because we care and we want to see them succeed and be the best that they possibly can be. And that entails sometimes a lot of this extra, extra work or extra hours. But I don't know any athletic trainer that says that they wouldn't do it for their athletes. You know, I, I completely agree. I, I only will tag on to that and, and share my conversation more often than not with my athletes and saying that one of my big, biggest, uh, I guess, pats on the back and, and successes that I view is seeing that full uh, cycle, right, of knowing the athlete, watching them perform, get hurt, look to me for help, rehab them back to performing, and then see them back out there and succeeding again. To me, that's like that's why you do it, right? It's like I helped with that. And while I'm not out there performing, they're going to look back at me at some point and give me that thumbs up or the clap or a hug or whatever it is. And there's very little that's more gratifying than that. Yes, definitely. And I couldn't agree anymore. I think that's the biggest reward in our profession and why all of our colleagues and everyone does it. So if anybody is listening and you know, you, you have this type of relationship with your athletic trainer, just go tomorrow and send them, tell them thank you or send them a quick email or a text and just tell them thank you because they really do care. And it means a lot when we hear back from our athletes that, you know, you appreciate what we're doing for you. Yeah. Um, on that note, kind of along the lines of athletic training in the profession, we have a lot of great athletic trainers coming out of school and, you know, a lot more opportunities in the next decade, I truly believe that there's going to be so many more opportunities for all the athletic trainers, whether you're a veteran or you're coming straight out of school. But what is it that we've kind of been out of school for a little while now? I, I wouldn't say a long time, but a little while. I mean, looking back, there's a lot of different things that we have experienced. And if you were to pass on some of that information or just think back, what are things that you wish you would have known as a new grad coming out of school, just being a recent certified athletic trainer? What are some of your words of advice that you could pass on to this next generation? Oof, uh, words of advice are a little different than what I wish I'd known, but I'll give <laughs> <it should> you both. <laughs> um, I think maybe first what I wish I'd known, uh, and I'll preface this by saying the uh, the this current staff, those educators at the University of Hawaii at Manoa are spectacular. And I recall and go back to my education and the, the foundation that was built there all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's, let's be very clear here, we're not receiving any kind of compensation <laughs> for this in any measure. But I'll, I'll tell anybody to listen, I had a great experience there and the education I got was invaluable. Uh, I would have not liked to have incurred so much school debt, but that being said, I got an education that I feel like uh, as I continue to be a practitioner, I appreciate more and more because of everything that was done at that university, right? So having said that, there's not tons of like, oh, I wish they would have taught us that or that would have been nice. But I wish that I probably would have internalized more, even more than I already did about each setting and the experience that every single practitioner there and at the high schools that I worked at were not only so similar, but diverse and different in how they approach things. I wish I would have absorbed more. And I don't know that that's possible, but that's something like, ah, oh, I wish I'd done that more. As far as advice, you know, like you, like you alluded to, it's not like we've been doing this for 40 years, like, oh, <laughs> back in my day. But I will say that the advice that we got to uh, be present, to take every opportunity to learn and to volunteer and just get your hands dirty, as they say, 
was massive. And that's, I realized later on, that's why they said it is because I find myself telling students that come and shadow me on the road and wherever we may be, or lectures that I've given, I find myself regurgitating the same thing. Those crazy injuries that I have pictures of and that I tell stories about, if I'm not there, I never would have experienced. And that's true whether it be at the university setting, high school or otherwise. If you're just not there, there's no way you'll get to see it. Um, So I guess the advice is to be present as much as possible. For some people, that's far more plausible because, I mean, family, finances, all kinds of stuff play into that, right? But if for you as a student to be as involved as you possibly can, even if nothing's happening in the athletic training room, athletic trainers like to talk and they'll start telling stories. And what you can learn from that is probably as valuable as watching somebody come in bloodied and bruised up and and getting to evaluate and watch that as well. Yes, definitely. And and I just to tag along or tag on to that is that's what I think at UH we both got is just immersing ourselves into these settings. And that's what I, I take away the most is just experiencing all of these different things. And like you said, if you miss something, then you never really got that firsthand experience. And obviously we can't be around for everything, but the more that you immerse yourself in these settings, the more that you're probably going to experience and see. And that goes not only with injuries and everything, but that goes in your interaction with your athletes. It goes with how you're going to handle day-to-day things. But there's so many things that I, I would say for recent grads and new students, just immerse yourself in whatever setting because you'll start to pick up things faster. And the second thing that sticks with me even to this day, I mean, is that the learning really never stops. It's not like right. we get certified and it's just like, okay, we just go to continuing eds. It's like, no, the learning is ongoing and you probably learn more after you get certified than you actually do in the program. So yeah. it's just understanding that you don't need to know everything coming out of school, but just know that you need to know how to how to look up information, how to learn more, how to see what kinds of things need to help you. And that goes like with what you said is sometimes it's just learning more about the sport or the activity so that you can be a better athletic trainer in that setting. So there's so many things that I definitely agree. I think getting the the right education and the foundation is very important, but a lot of it, you'll just keep growing as, as the years go on. And before you know it, you know, hopefully it's a long successful career being an athletic trainer and talking and interacting with tons and tons of people. Yes. Um, Yeah. I I think there's so many things that we could keep talking about and everything, but I know that you're uh, very busy. Um, Is there anything in general that you want to share any last bits of information or things that you've got going on? Um, you know, as far as the the world of Marvel, we're limited in what we talk about. But as far as athletic training, uh, I think the only other thing that I would really speak about is the idea that, um, you know, kind of you already alluded to it. There's something to be said for the athlete to come back, whether you've graduated, whether you've gone on to another team or otherwise. Maintaining those relationships is uh, really valuable, right? And that comes along to something I was thinking about when you were just uh, addressing, you know, the continuing learning is that, and I recently said this in, in a discussion we were having, the idea that humility is, is massive, right? Understanding what you don't know is probably as valuable, is as valuable as understanding what you do. And my setting allows me to work with others and kind of lean on their understanding a lot as well. 
I, I can't tell you how many times I've called one of my best friends who's a pharmacist and be like, hey, man, I'm looking at this drug. I don't really know the interactions, right? And he kind of laughs and tells me I could Google it, which I can, but he usually gives me some measure of an explanation in addition to whatever I would have learned on Google. Um, working with orthopedic surgeons who have different approaches, dentists, uh, ophthalmologists, podiatrists, all these people, as we already talked about, working to collectively together is just massive. I, I, I do not regret going into athletic training in any measure. And um, if I could say anything to any of the students is that it will, it will, there will be times where it's going to be terrible and it's going to suck, but it's all worth it in my opinion. I, I absolutely love it. Yes, I, I definitely think you have to get into this profession. And all of my mentors, all of the people before me has have said the same thing. You have to be an athletic trainer only if it's your passion. I don't know any athletic trainer that's going to go through all of the long hours, the demanding schedules, everything, if you really don't like it, because then it's just going to be miserable. But yeah, along those lines, there's one thing that I want to ask to leave it, leave it off with. Um, you're always one that amazes me with all of these quotes and trivial informations and things like this. So to leave it off on a good note, what is one of your favorite quotes on performance or just, just from an athlete, maybe in general? What is one of your favorite quotes that has a good place in your heart, I guess, that can help other athletes to whenever they're trying to train for their sport or whatever it is? Do you have any favorite quotes or favorite books or anything that you can pass on? Yeah, that's really funny. Two spring to mind, so I'll give them both to you. One of my favorites, and I couldn't tell you who said it, is uh, there was a game we used to play when we were little called King of the Hill. It's, for those who don't know, it's just find a hill and you got to keep everybody down. And the quote says, the King of the Hill didn't just fall there. There's some measure of fight and struggle to get to the top of that mountain or hill or whatever the case may be. And the correlation with athletics, I think, is absolute in every setting. You don't just start out at the top. The greats uh, didn't just fall there, right? <laughs> uh, the second is a little more deep, but I love it. And the, the quote is, that which we persist in doing becomes easier. Not because the nature of the task has changed, but our ability to do has increased. <laughs> and I I look back at that all the time, whether it's studying, whether it's personal, private, public, professional, or otherwise. If you keep at it, the task will become easier. And it's not that the task has gotten any easier, but our abilities will increase, right? And I love that quote, and I, I, I divert back to it in my own life all the time, and I think there's some application there as well. I oh, definitely. I mean, I learn things from you all the time, and I think that's a good quote. Doesn't matter what you're doing. I think it's good to have that have that perspective and keep pushing forward because, yeah, things will get easier because you're getting better at it. So overall, is there anything else that you got going on that you want to share? Any last bits of information? Um, no. I got to tell you, yeah. I, I, I have my own podcast, and I, you know, I have my social media feeds like everybody else. But it's been a treat and a privilege. I, I was really looking forward to coming out and speaking to you. And so I'm really grateful that you've uh, not only included me in this, but also taken the time to, uh, to speak to me. So I guess mahalo for all of that. And, yeah. Yes, thank you so much, Jay. And I was looking forward to this conversation, too. We got to touch base more often and keep connected. But we are going to put this feed up on my podcast and your podcast as well. Yeah. So what is your podcast for all of the listeners who want to check it out? It's on Spotify and uh, iTunes. It's called Not So Ordinary People. Uh, my Instagram handle is airj09. Uh, while I don't have tons and tons of followers, if you're interested in those kind of uh, social media outlets, by all means, you can find my podcast uh, link on that as well. 
Yes, and I'll put all of that in the show notes. But I want to thank you so much again for taking some time out. I hope everything's okay over there and taking some time away from the road and away from the show. But take care and stay healthy. And thank you so much for coming on again. And we will be in touch. You too, man. All right, I'll plan on seeing you this summertime sometime, probably in yeah. July. That's the plan. <laughs> that is the plan. Thanks so much, Jay. All right. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha.